0: How are you guys doing? It's a good morning, isn't it? Has it been good so far? You guys, I don't know about you, but uh, worship was awesome this morning. I hope it translated online, amen? Because I mean, that was just, that was phenomenal. Just getting us ready to hear from God, hear from his word, getting us into his presence. That's what it's all about, amen? I'm going to move this over so I don't knock it down. All right. Hey, um, how many of you guys have ever thought about some of the ways that we, on a regular basis, will use um, imagination? Right? Imagination. I mean, usually we think about that with kids, right? We think about kids and they play make believe or they have imaginary friends and that kind of thing. But as adults, have you ever thought about how we use our imagination? Because I can guarantee it happens every every day. You wake up in the morning. You're putting on your clothes, and one of the things you're thinking is, I wonder what other people think, will think, about what I'm wearing, right? And you're imagining what they're going to say. Now, do you ever ask them? No. No? Do you ever hear from them? No. So you go through your whole day imagining that you were right about what you thought they'd say, and that's why you're wearing what you wear, right? Sometimes, how about you're on your way to the store and you say, I wonder what the quickest route to the store is? And you have in your mind, you have all those routes and you go, I imagine this one's gonna be that way. But sometimes that, that kind of fantasy of the, what you thought was the quickest route, sometimes you're driving it and all of a sudden you hit traffic or you hit road construction or something like that. And so your imagination, it was just, it was a dream. But we use it all the time. We project something that's out there ahead of us and we use it to go on other kinds of journeys as well, don't we? I mean, it's sometimes it's journeys to the store, but sometimes it's just our journey through life And we try and imagine what's out there or is this journey through a relationship with someone. And we try and imagine what is the end gonna look like? What's, What's the trip gonna be like on the way there? What are the things we're gonna hit and we're gonna experience? And then how will I know when I get to the end of this journey? How will I know when I get to that point that I imagined? And so our imagination, we use it all the time. We use our imagination too. There's a specific way and a specific word that we have When we talk about that, that imagining that ending, we call it anticipation, don't we? Right, anticipation It's where we look to the end. And we might look in dread with anticipation, right? Because we imagine it's gonna be a horrible journey to a terrible ending. Or we might just, we might be thrilled because we are imagining this is gonna be a great journey to a great end. But anticipation, the word anticipation actually comes from two Latin words. There's a prefix on it, ante, it's where A-N-T-E actually comes, and, and it means before. We have certain words in English that use that, but then capare, anticipation, capare, is actually a word that means to take hold of, to acquire. And so an, anticipation, really, it, it meant something like that we take hold of something in our minds and in our hearts and in our being as if it was already ours before we actually have it in hand. It's amazing, isn't it? We do it all the time, though. If you didn't have a destination in hand, you would never go on a trip, because what's a trip if you don't have, well, some people, they go on a trip, a wandering trip, right? But then the, the destination is just to wander around. If you didn't have that already in your heart, you wouldn't go on a trip. There'd be no trip to go on. So it's this idea of anticipating. In the book of Revelation, it's at the end of the Bible, And God gives us several, quite a few, pictures of the end. And the reason he does that is so that we might grab hold of them before we have them. So that indeed they might then grab hold of us and shape our perspectives and our attitudes and our actions on the way there. That they might actually be part of what shapes our lives. And so Revelation 7, 9 through 17, we're going to look at. So stand with me. As we look at this picture that God gave us, as we begin to look at this picture and say, how can we anticipate this? How can we start grabbing a hold of it before we actually have it so that it shapes who we are and how we live? Because God said that this is our destination. This is our inheritance. Amen? Revelation 7:19, or 9 through 17, it says. After this, I looked and I saw a vast sea of people, too many to count, from every people group, every tribe, every community, every language, standing before God's throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud shout, salvation is to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I want you to hear this next part. And all the angels who were gathered around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, in response to this shout, they all fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You guys, I'm going to take a little side note here and just a little mini sermon in the midst of this. (laughs) Usually angels show up and people fall down on their face. We are so changed by the time we get to heaven and so filled with gratitude, thanksgiving and worship that when we shout praise to God, the angels fall on their face and worship. That's what happens. That's the trip we're on, right? I So one of the elders came up to me and said, who are these who are clothed in the white robes and where have they come from? And I said to him, my Lord, you know. I don't. And he said to me, yes, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. It is for this reason that they are before the throne of God to serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his covering over them. They will hunger no longer. They will, th- they will not thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Aren't you guys glad that we have a shepherd who was a lamb? Right? Right? Who would get us more than the shepherd who is the lamb of God? You guys, initially, we'd look at this and we'd say, what a great ending, right? What a great destination. What a great thing to grab hold of, to have in our minds as we go through this journey because this life life can be kind of tough and we think no more sickness, no more hunger, no more pain, right? In other places, it says no more sorrow, no more death, all the tears wiped away from our eyes by God. But that's only a part of it. The ending's just, the is just part of it because there's also the journey that gets us there, right? And in the same way that you don't have a journey unless you have a destination in hand, if you have the destination but you don't take the journey, you never realize the destination, right? They're both important, and both of those are here. This morning, God wants us to see both that journey, to see that picture of where we're going, So we take that journey well. This morning, the message is titled, Seeing the Unseen. Pray with me. Father, this morning, we're gonna need your eyes and we're gonna need your spirit to, he has a way of waking up a vision we didn't know we had. And it comes through his power and it comes through your word As we look at your word and you make things clear that were either hidden or they were foggy, you reveal them to our hearts so that we can actually anticipate, we can grab hold of those things that you have for us that are hidden in the future and shrouded in mystery. You've given us your word so that we could grab hold of them so that that word could be used by your spirit and transform us in this life to look more like Jesus to live more like Jesus, to be known as your sons and daughters, to be known as the ambassadors of the very kingdom of heaven, a kingdom where peace and righteousness and justice and goodness, where it reigns. So Lord, come and open our eyes so that we might see these things that are unseen. Father, who sits on the throne, we we pray to you for your glory that these things might be done. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who is in the midst Right in the middle of that throne, we pray that these might be done in your name for you have accomplished all these things for us and Holy Spirit, who even now dwells among us, we pray that these things would be done in your power and for your name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. You know, in high school, I had the opportunity, I, I'm looking out here and, and Scott's with us this morning and Scott just got back from a really long bike ride. <clears throat> he started off on the West Coast and he made his way to the East Coast and that amazes and astounds me. Um, I went on a little tiny bike ride um, when I was in high school, but it was in Colorado and I, I didn't ride my bike much and I didn't do much to prepare and Scott, you know how important that is. Um, but I, it was a, a journey from... My hometown of Fort Collins, and then we ended up in Steamboat Springs. Now that's only about 150 miles. And uh, that doesn't sound like much. And it takes about three, three hours in the car. And even on a bike 150 miles I mean three hours in a car, we set a goal of, of three days. And so you think 50 miles a day, you know, on flat ground, that's real easily doable. Uh, also, just the, the overall gain of altitude was about 1,700 square or 1,700 feet. You know, And we were going from about 5,000 feet to about uh, 6,700 square feet, or square, I keep saying that, 6,700 feet, uh, 6, feet above sea level. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, but that's not bad either. You stretch it out over three days. The problem is, is in between those two towns, there were two major passes. Cameron Pass sits at about 10,000 feet above sea level, and uh, Rabbit Ears Pass sits around 9,700 feet uh, above sea level. And so um, what we did was basically the first stretch, we, we climbed about a mile and then we dropped about a third of a mile and then we, we climbed about a quarter of a mile and then we dropped about half a mile down over the stretch of three days. And so it was grueling because all of it was about a mile or more above sea level. And so the air gets thin and the sun gets hot. And so it was a grueling uh, kind of a trip Now, I remember that the only thing that kept me going on those uphill climbs, the only thing that kept me going, because we're going up these hills and they are so steep that you're in the lowest gear and your feet are just, you're going like 10 times around to get each inch, right? You're just going, going. People are walking by you carrying their bikes because you're just not, you're not moving. And the sweat's dripping off you and the sun's beating down on you and your lungs are just burning as you're trying to breathe and get enough oxygen. And I remember the only thing that kept me going was that vision of the other side, right? And I mean, it, it lived up to all of its, its beauty in my mind, especially Rabbit Ears Pass. At one point, going down the backside of Rabbit Ears Pass, we are dropping Pretty quickly, straight down. I, I'm going and I'm catching up to this car, right, on the highway as we're going down this hill. And I'm starting to pass this lady in her car. I'm on my bike. I'm not pedaling. I'm just I'm just going. I'm just trying to stay stay upright. And she she all of a sudden she she's just kind of having an nice day and she looks over and she sees me and it's like, oh no, you don't. She <laughs> hits the gas. She's like, I'm gonna have a bicycle pass me on the highway. So she, you know, she makes her way down, but it was an amazing trip. But all of that imagining on the way up those hills, before we got to the top, before we got to the downhill, that was anticipation, right? That was grabbing hold of something you knew was there, and it, you took it into all that you were, into your mind, in your heart, into, and it changed It changed my perspectives and my attitudes and my actions towards that grueling kind of uphill climb, because that's what anticipation can do. It's a very powerful thing. That's why God gives us the picture in Revelation 7 that he does, because he knows that this uphill climb that we call life can be kind of grueling at times. And we're going to need a picture of where we're going so that we have the attitude and we have the perspective to act in a way that will get us there, to live a life that God has called us to and walk a path that will get us there. Because we know that on the other side of this mountain is an amazing place, right? I mean, listen to how he describes it. He says, he says that there's no hunger, there's no more thirst, there's no more of this lacking even the basic necessity. There's not even the discomfort of the sun blazing on a hot day. How many of you guys can relate to a sun blazing on a hot day in recent memory? <laughs> right? There's not even any of that. There's no more of this this separation, that spiritual hunger, that emptiness that comes from the separation of not being in the presence, the literal presence of God. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more loneliness. You hear about that crowd that's surrounding them. That crowd that he's talking about is this new family, this new people of God. There will be no more persecution. There will be no more... No more racism, it looks like. No more prejudice. You got every tribe and every tongue and every nation that's represented there, and they're all worshiping God together. There will be no more threat, no more shame, no more sin. And you look at the details. It's like all you have is only God. It's only Jesus. It's only grace. It's only joy and worship and thanksgiving that's left. It's a great picture, isn't it? And then you look at, you look at the details of it and, and kind of dig into those. It says, We'll be wearing white robes. Now, white's the sign of, of purity. A robe is the sign of, is kind of a, a metaphor, a sign of the deeds that you've done. And so this will be a place where no more will we be covered with kind of that, that dirt and that. That, that shame and that embarrassment of sin and of brokenness in our bodies and in our lives and our relationships and in our hearts. None of that. There, there won't be any more of this struggle against these habits and these addictions that just keep relentlessly coming on that we don't seem to be able to, to take control over. There won't be this guilt that comes every time we, we let down God or we let down our, our, our spouse, or we let down our kids, or we let down our friends, or we let down ourselves, there will be none of that because guilt will be gone. There won't be any more letting down. And because of that, there will be no more being angry with somebody. There's nobody that you're going to get to be frustrated with because they're going to be wearing the white robes too. I mean, if you want to talk about something that's going to help wipe all tears out of our eyes, That'll be it, right? No more bad drivers on the highway, <laughs> right? No more people taking too long in the grocery store or in the line. There's, there's no more fouling up on somebody, oh, they, actually get, they accidentally gave you, the wrong, you know, the wrong change and shorted you about 50 bucks, right? There's, there's no more of that. I mean, what a place that'll be where we're no more more sickness, no more sorrow. You know, the sickness and the stress and all that stuff that, that comes on us just because of the lives that we have to, the things we navigate in this world. There'll be none of that. All that'll be left is what the angels fall down and start crying out. Blessing and honor and glory and wisdom and strength. Joy and salvation. That's all that'll be left. That's all that will be left to recognize and to cry out. And all of it, just saying, God, that, it all came from you and it all belongs to you. And then, and then the sea of people. I mean, so in Romans, or not Romans, in Revelation 21, later in the book, Revelation 21, one, um, there's a verse and it says that in this new heaven, this new earth, there will be no more sea. Now, that's um, my wife's, that's one of her least favorite verses in the whole Bible. I just want you to know that. Um, but the thing is, I don't think God's making a point that in that that somehow there's not going to be anything for people that love the beach anymore. Instead, what he's getting at is, you guys, in the Bible, the sea is this metaphor that's constantly and regularly used to describe the nations of this world as their Churning and they're struggling and they're just, and they're constantly at war with each other and they're constantly in rebellion against God and they're always just tossing up muck and mire. That's the sea. And he says, You know what? That will be gone. And instead, what will be left is this huge sea of people who are standing before the throne, who are in these robes and they're united in heart and mind because of Jesus who have been washed clean in him. And every wall has been taken down between them and between God. So there will be no more of this riling and this, this, this just struggle with each other. And instead, there will be every tribe and every tongue. You know those words even. Every, every lineage And every language that tries to express how life should be lived and every community that tries to frame that in action, every one of those will be represented in this place and they will all be there together before the throne as one. That's a pretty good picture, right? And it talks about God's temple you know, later again in, in Revelation 20, 21 and 22, it says that in that day, we won't even need the sun and the moon because God will be so with us in our presence and we in his. It says literally, heaven will come down and join earth. We won't need the sun and the moon because the glory of God will give us light. We will have such a, intimacy and an unprecedented closeness to God that we can't even begin to imagine what that's like. We, we get a, a taste of it. It says that the Holy Spirit, in those moments that you feel closest to God, it says that there's like a small down payment of what is to come. It's like this just small kind of example, this foretaste of what God has in store, of living in his presence His true temple, not just an earthly copy, will be among us. In fact, it says we are being built into that temple in which he will be dwelling. You guys, that's that's a a destination, right? That's a picture you can grab hold of. I mean, that can take over your imagination, your heart. If you wanna talk about something to anticipate, that's it. Well, that's the picture of the end, but then the second question we said was, okay, so how do we get there, right? How do we get there? Well, that's, that's a little more challenging, right? I mean, our bike trip, going up those things, that was some pretty tough tough hills we had to climb. There are some really challenging stages of that, and there's no doubt from Revelation 7 that there's going to be some challenges on this journey as we make our way towards this destination, this end that God has in mind. At at one point, one of these heavenly elders, or these 24 elders that are around the throne, it says that one comes up and he says, who are these people and where have they come from? How have they gotten here, right? How did they come to this place? And part of it is in response to the fact that when they shout, angels fall down to worship, right? Who are these people, And how did they, what was the journey that they took in order to come and to be who they are in this place right now? And then he goes on and he answers his own question, which is always funny to me in the Bible and stuff like that happens. But he said, there are two things. First is this. They are the ones, they are the ones who have been brought through the great tribulation. Now, there are many who believe that the Great Tribulation is talking about this specific time towards the end of all of time when, it, when it's like the opposition and the persecution towards those who follow Jesus, who love Jesus, would become very intense and very focused on like a, a worldwide kind of a basis. And that may absolutely be true. And if that is true, then yes, that is a part of the Great Tribulation. But I want you guys to know that there are people living on this planet right now who are experiencing that. There are martyrs who give their lives now. There are those who lose their homes, who get thrown in jail, who are persecuted, who are spit on and ridiculed, who are oppressed, who get the lowest jobs in society because of their decision to follow Jesus. That happens now. And so the great persecution isn't just waiting for this one time in the end when everybody gets to kind of experience it together. The great persecution is something that has been going on for 2,000 years. This has been happening. That followers of Jesus have been paying some pretty hefty prices for their decision to keep following Jesus and to keep on this road this grueling road that goes uphill. There are also those who are, that are around this globe right now that, are, that have been throughout time, that have been throughout the history of even mankind, that have been choosing to follow God. There are those who are probably in this room right now who are fighting that, that tribulation, that trial that comes just because we live in a world that has in many ways is broken and set itself in opposition to God. And it's waves, and it's not just the people, it's the whole environment of the thing. sometimes. There are disasters that come, and sicknesses that hit, and there are just circumstances, and there, there are there are spiritual entities that are out there. It says that we fight this, this spiritual warfare at times, and we have emotional, we have this, this very, I don't know, sometimes our emotions, we, just, we become, we're shattered, We can be very, very fragile at times. And you guys, all of that, that that's the tribulation. That is the trials that come from trying to live a life when you're following Jesus in this world that's not necessarily into following him at all. This is the great tribulation. Now, just because we're on maybe an easier part of that path in our lives does not mean that we're not living in it as the people of God. He says, these are those who have come through that, who have walked this walk, who have stayed true to Christ in the midst of it. And yes, there may be a time that it gets even more intense, but you guys you guys know, some of you guys have paid that price of what what it means to follow and to believe and to have this picture of my God is true. The, The doubts that come the struggles that come as you try to hold on to that picture. God, what is going on right now if that's true, right? You guys know. But also he says, second, these are those who have washed their robes, whose robes are washed white in the blood of the Lamb of God, in the blood of Jesus, who we know, his blood came, it was poured out, it was shed by injustice, by hatred, by oppression, by deceit, by betrayal. He's saying that our actions have been washed by that same blood. And there's some of you guys that have had your robes washed white because in the midst of your own betrayals and your own experiences of deceit and persecution or Or brokenness, or sin, or injustice, or hatred, you have held to that path, to that journey that Jesus has us on towards his kingdom. And your robes have become white through the blood of Jesus. And that's tough. Because living a life of following Jesus is a life of, I mean, it's not just putting up with what comes from the outside, but it's also admitting the failures that are going on inside, right? It's going to God and asking forgiveness for the ways that not only you've been wounded, but others have wounded you. And then you've turned around and wounded them back. It's confessing your shortcomings and your sins. You guys, that stuff's hard, right? Right? And then it's hard to to live a life where you're asking forgiveness and you're trying to reconcile and you're trying to learn new ways of living that you don't always see modeled well around you. That's tough. But it says these are the ones who have, have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb of God. That's the journey, isn't it? That's the journey that we all know. But I think there are also, there's some very practical things that we can take out of this picture because those are kind of the big things. Yes, in general, that's what we're going to be doing. But there's some specific things, some very kind of things we can grab hold of in this. And I want you guys, I want to send you out with some of those too, that we take from this vision that will help shape our life of faith. It will help shape our perspectives and our attitudes and our actions in this world so that we reflect more of Jesus. Amen? Because that's what we're looking for. First of all, we see that all those, all those who will and who do wear the white robes, we are, we are they, those, those people. We are part of that gathering. And when when we imagine that that gathering, we see ourselves there with the people of God. And we're wearing that robe. So that means that a life lived in anticipation of God's promise in this Revelation 7, in this picture and promise, it is a life of discipleship under the blood of Jesus. Discipleship under the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, that means every day we seek to be changed and transformed and for these robes to be washed clean. Amen? Right? Right? Every day, we seek the tougher path instead of just turning around and saying, ah, oh, forget it, I'm going downhill, <laughs> right? We keep choosing the tougher path, the harder path of saying, you know what? I'm going to choose patience over anger. I'm going to choose kindness over violence. I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose generosity instead of selfishness. I'm going to choose to reflect Jesus in my actions no matter what it seems to cost me. Every day, that is a life of discipleship under the blood of Jesus. Every day, we remember that this is about God's power in us, not our power doing something for God. We're not up to this. So every day we know that it's His Spirit working in us, and it's not just working inside us to change the attitudes and perspectives, but very specifically too, it is outside changing our actions towards other people, the way that we interact, the way that they either see they see us or they see Jesus very clearly. When we live in light of God's new heaven and new earth, we go through this daily struggle of being transformed. To be like him. So, question Where is that struggle taking place for you right now? Where is that place that God has his, his, um, his uh, what would you call it? Maybe the heavenly bleach kind of targeted at your robe right now? Where is it? Because we all have it, right? It may be, it may be in your anger. That he's trying to, he just needs you to get under control. It may be be the words that come out of your mouth as you talk about others, maybe it's specific others. You find yourself tearing them down. Maybe maybe it's your thought life as you just let your, your thoughts wander and your imaginations wander into places that you know it shouldn't be. Maybe it's the the lies that you tell to others, maybe it's the betrayals that you enact in your relationships towards other people. Where is God washing your robe? Because you know that you're gonna be wearing a white robe by the end of this thing. So where is God washing you clean? And how are you walking that walk? It's a hard walk but how are you walking that path with them? Second, we'll be those who are standing and waving the palm branches when we get there. Now, palm branches were a sign of victory and a sign of, of, of celebration. So a life lived in the anticipation of God's promise in his picture in Revelation 7 is a life of worship and of celebration. You see the victory at the end more than you see the challenge that's right in front of you. It's a life where we learn how to, how to praise God in the midst of the hardest of circumstances, how to thank him in the middle of the darkness of that valley that you're in, how to sometimes just say the words because you know that they're true, even though you don't feel like they're true at all. Ours is a life of celebrating Jesus. Palms were also a, a picture of the... the the um, worship of God's people at the festivals that God had called. There was a rhythm that, that the Jewish people uh, got into that God set out a whole calendar for them, a whole daily life for them to follow so that they might get into these rhythms of just the ways of God, that they might be integrated in their lives and there might be things all around them that would remind them everything from the clothes they wore to things they hang on their walls would remind them of whose they were and where they were going. Well, the question is, well, how how is your day? How is your week? How is your months? And how are your years being shaped into the rhythm of of God's journey? Some of you might be, might be challenged because you're you're trying to get that we talked about this last week that Gilgal you're sitting up that time every day that you just start with God so that you anchor into him. some of you guys are trying to get into that, the rhythm of every week that Sabbath where you give God a day. You don't just take a day to just rest and do whatever you want. It's also a day to focus on him so that weekly you have this anchor. Some of you guys are are learning to to take your time and every year you have certain anchor points that are meaningful that you spend with God that you focus on him. We have Christmas, we have Easter. Some of you guys know there are others that, you just, that are special to you. Some of you guys are learning to anchor God into even your giving. You're learning this thing called tithing where you just take a portion of all that you have and by faith you say, God, I can give you this for your work and know that you're gonna, you're gonna take care of me because that's what you do. Right? What are we doing because our lives, we live in anticipation of this life of discipleship, of being discipled, of being God's people, living in God's rhythm. Third, we're those who are standing. We are those who are standing in the sea of God's people. Just a crowd. You guys, a life lived in anticipation of God's promise given in Revelation 7, is a life lived in community. It is a life lived in community. What are you doing to connect with God's people on a regular basis? That's why we do, around here, we do things like Rooted. So that's why we have C3 groups and C2 groups. And that's why we take trips together and we have projects that we do together because our life together, I mean, our life is going to be spent together for the rest of time. And by the time we get to heaven, we're going to be those that look around and we're thrilled By all the people that we see around us because this is our family, this is our people. Whatever nation, whatever tribe, whatever language we came from, these are our people and this is our God. So what are you doing? What are you doing to lock yourselves into anticipation of God's community? And lastly, We are those who will be standing in this vast sea of God's people, God's diverse people. You guys living a life in anticipation of what we see in Revelation 7? is living a life where we know that not only we connect, we're not just out there connect with people who are like us, who are like the same things that we do, who talk the same way that we do, who, who seek after the same things we do or come from the same backgrounds and experiences. We are those who reach out across any of those lines because God has called us there. We go through our lives, we look for those people that God says, I want you to connect with this one. I want you to connect with this one. I want you to attach to this one because they need to know Jesus. Or because they do need, they do know Jesus, but you need to know the Jesus they know because there's a little bit of this piece that you don't have quite right, and they got right. I used to, I used to take our kids on, on this mission trip down to, to Mexico every year. And um, one of the things I tell them, because we start we'd get ready for this trip and we'd, we'd learn all these songs in Spanish and most of them didn't speak Spanish at all and we were horrible at it. Um, but I said, what if we get to heaven and we find out God speaks Spanish? <laughs> right? We just assume it's going to be English because we all do. But what if we get there? What if, he's, what if that's not it? We have to get ready for a for a." <laughs> Diverse group that's there, and God loves every single one of them. We have to be bringing the gospel to different places and different cultures, not to make them more like us. I'm not called to convert the world to look like me. It's so that the gospel of Jesus will be infused in their lives and in their thinking and in their language, and that the presence of God will take residence in their culture and their ways so that they might see God where they are and that the kingdom of heaven might be just growing to this this vision. This is where we're going. You guys say, what are you doing? What are you you doing looking for people that that are maybe completely different, that you may go, I don't know, and you just feel God's talking. What are you doing looking for those people, for others who, who are gonna be part of this vast sea around you? You guys, those are the things, those are those unseen things that we're not only, uh, we not only see, but we begin to appropriate and anticipate and lay hold of, take possession of so that this vision might possess us, so that it may change our hearts and our minds and perspectives and attitudes and our actions so that we would live and look like Jesus. Amen?